0: What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm really excited to jump into this show today because so many of you had had questions around disability policies that it gets a little confusing. I know. And what these guys and gals, when they're trying to sell insurance, they want to give you as much information as possible because, as physicians, we all know that you like to overanalyze everything and like dig into the details. But sometimes those details are really confusing. When there's a bunch of terminology that you've probably never heard of before. So our show today, I'm bringing on Michael Ralvis with MR Insurance Consultants. He's dropping so much knowledge on us that it is amazing. I can't wait to jump into this one. If this is your first time listening to the Financial Residency Podcast, welcome to our community. Really excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. There is years worth of content. Pick and choose what sounds interesting to you to get kind of caught up on what we're talking about. And if you've been here for a long time, thank you for being a part of our community. You guys are amazing. So we're going to talk around decisions around long-term disability, how to help you evaluate and walk through that decision-making process so you don't go through analysis by paralysis and end up not purchasing and getting that so desperately needed protection on your income. So without further ado, let's jump in and talk with Michael from MR Insurance Consultants. Michael, what's up, man? Thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you here.
1: I'm really excited to be here, Ryan. So thanks for having me and hopefully we'll put out some great information for people.
0: I know we will, man. I know we will because you and I were talking offline about some of the cool things that you're working on. I know you're extremely busy. You got a lot of stuff going on. And we were talking offline about some of the things that lead people to making decisions around their long-term disability policies. And I know how much knowledge you were just spitting at me was amazing. I was like, we have to record this. So I'm going to let you kind of jump in. I know there's a lot of things we can be discussing, but when someone's looking at buying disability insurance, Kind of walk me through a, a way that they can help evaluate the decision-making process.
1: Sure, Ryan. So I'll kind of take it a step back here. Right now is actually a pretty incredible time for physicians who are looking for disability insurance just because it's such a competitive marketplace. And there's not just one company offering really great coverage. There's a number of them. When a proposal or or a policy is designed properly, there are certainly certain things that it it has to include, right? And anybody who's done any research on disability insurance is probably familiar with some of those keywords. So buying a policy that's non-cancelable and guaranteed renewable or a policy that includes a true own occupation definition of disability, some optional riders like a partial disability benefit rider or a cost of living adjustment rider. These are all things that you can find in a lot of articles, a lot of data online, and even with speaking with some colleagues. And if all policies are designed to include all of those, there really aren't that many differences. A policy that's non-cancelable and guaranteed renewable is identical to the other policy that's non-cancelable and guaranteed renewable. It means the same thing. The pricing is fixed, the contractual terms are fixed, you don't have to worry about pricing increases, and that's just the way those policies are designed. But really what it comes down to is the nuances within some of these provisions. So like for example, the partial disability we were talking about, right? There are are multiple versions of a partial disability benefit rider. Partial disability, for those who don't know what it is, it's basically a situation where your policy is actually gonna pay you a partial benefit because you're being prevented from working 100% of the time, you're experiencing an income loss. So think in lines of, having to take time off from work, whether it be physical therapy, occupational therapy, it could be treatment like chemotherapy. It could just be pain. It could be symptoms from whatever the condition might be, but you're still working within your occupation. You're just working in a limited capacity and it's therefore causing this loss of income to occur. So policies provide for that. They don't just pay if you're totally disabled. If it's designed properly, it will also pay for a partial disability. So, Two policies that have a partial disability benefit aren't necessarily equal. And even if the insurance companies call it the same thing, you might see enhanced partial disability with multiple companies, and it actually means different things. There are two policies specifically that sort of stand out amongst the rest of them as having a better partial disability benefit. And what makes it better, or potentially better, is that during the first 12 months of this type of claim, it's going to reimburse you a hundred percent on a dollar for dollar basis of your income loss as long as that doesn't exceed the max monthly benefit you have. So as a very simple example, if you have a $5,000 monthly benefit, which is pretty typical for a policy offer to residents or fellows or a physician during training, and you have a, let's just say $4,000 loss of income, those better versions will actually give you the $4,000. It doesn't exceed the $5,000 monthly benefit. It's gonna pay you on a on a dollar for dollar basis. And that really only happens for the first 12 months. After 12 months, most of the policies are gonna be very comparable. They're gonna pay based on a percentage of income loss. So whereas during the first 12 months with those better plans, they would give you the full 4,000 After that, they're going to look at what percentage of income loss you've experienced, and they're going to multiply that percentage by the $5,000 monthly benefit. So if $4,000 represented, let's just say, 30% of your actual pre-disability income, they would replace 30% or pay you 30% of the $5,000 monthly benefit. If you had a 40% loss of income, they would just pay 40% of the $5,000 monthly benefit rather than a dollar for dollar calculation. So that difference is really in the first 12 months, but it it could really make or or break how that claim works out. And ultimately it comes down to pricing, right? Or at least a little bit. One is certainly better than the other. If you're having to pay double the premium for that, some people might not find quite so much value to that. So that type of difference and understanding that and evaluating the cost of a policy with the better version and a policy with a not as great version can really start to help determine your decision and make some decisions on which policy is the best fit for you specifically.
0: Yeah, so everyone's different, right? We all have different health concerns, male and female, like age. I mean, all these things factor into this. The basic versus the enhanced what is it kind of just on a, just throw a ballpark number, no one's going to hold you to it, but what is like the difference in cost usually end up being when someone's looking at buying a policy? And how much does that differ if it was a male versus a female or a gender neutral rate, if we want to introduce even more complexity, I guess?
1: Sure, of course. In terms of how it relates to men versus women versus unisex pricing, I mean, it's relative. So, on average a policy that has both options where you can truly even compare that type of pricing discrepancy you're probably looking at about a 10 or 15% swing for women it's still going to be 10 to 15% it's just that typical pricing for women it's not under a unisex rate it's more expensive. So in terms of a dollar amount, you might see a larger increase from a dollar amount standpoint, but percentage wise it's still gonna be about the same. You're looking at a 10 to 15% difference in premium. Now the bigger picture issue is that you might look at a policy with the enhanced partial or the better partial, and one that has the more limited partial, But there are other moving parts within that that are also different, right? So some of the other things we talked about, like mental health, some might limit it, some might not. And so you really have to take all of that into consideration. It's hard to say, oh, well, it's worth the extra 10%. That may or may not be available depending on which company, what your specialty is, depending on your your personal situation.
0: Yeah, there was four things that we really kind of were highlighting or that you, I should say, were really highlighting offline that I know I wanted to make sure we gave substantial airtime to each one. And so let's dive into that, the mental, what is it basically called the mental nervous limitation or health limitation That's right around there? And so it's a 24 month versus kind of what to age 65. And is that really the big difference between what we're kind of looking at with Pacific decision?
1: Yeah, it is Ryan. So it's interesting, mental psychiatric conditions, substance abuse conditions, obviously can be quite subjective. And so the insurance industry kind of wants to tread lightly on that, or at least some policies do. And what you'll find as you're reviewing multiple proposals is that some policies will not have any limitation at all, meaning they'll pay the full benefit period if you become disabled because of a mental health or substance abuse disorder whereas some policies will limit the benefit period to a specified period of time. Now, the limitation that you'll mostly see is a 24 month limitation. That basically means that the insurance company will pay you if you're too depressed or if the anxiety is, is, you know, preventing you from working or whatever the condition might be, any mental health or substance abuse disorder where they would pay you for up to 24 months. There is one option out there where in certain States, Depending on your specialty, the limitation is 60 months, so five years. That's kind of unique to just that one company. But yeah, this is one of the differences that we're looking at, right? And again, it kind of comes down to looking at the pricing and how it relates to this. If you are looking at two policies that are nearly identical other than this one factor, and one policy limits the benefit period to 24 months, whereas the other one has a full benefit, the difference in premium between those two policies has to be large enough. To, to really um, warrant even considering going with the limitation. And this is personal. Some people are really comfortable with the limitation. Some people aren't. Now, I can see both sides of it. Obviously not everybody is equally predisposed to a mental health condition. At the same time, is a pretty large amount of claims due to mental health conditions. So it's not something we can completely ignore. Each person just puts their own emphasis on it. But looking at the pricing, if two policies are very comparable, and the pricing is also very comparable, but one has a limitation and the other doesn't, there might be better value in going with the one that doesn't have the limitation just simply because you're almost getting more bang for your dollar, right? If you're not paying that much more for it and you're not having to deal with a limitation at all, that's a good thing. That's providing some value. So yeah, looking at that difference, both whether there's a limitation or not, but then also what you're paying for that really helps people to sort of make a final decision. I mean, that might be the one final factor where you go, okay, I understand the difference in the partial disability. I'm comfortable with that, but you know what? This mental health is really, really important to me. I just, I just don't want to consider a policy with a limitation. And now you've narrowed six or seven different options down to only two or three that even offer unlimited mental health. So it can really help make a decision.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious when you guys underwrite these things, is it tend to be in the 24 month is it by insurance carrier or is it really done by field and specialty or you know just how they're underwritten with the certain occupational class
1: Sure so it actually goes a little bit of both ways and also even adding third variable is the state that you live in so California for example is a pretty tough state for disability insurance
0: Good old California I knew that was
1: coming <laughs> as it normally is the sunshine tax So In California, it's very difficult to buy a policy that has full coverage for mental health. There was a time where one company specifically offered it. At this point, it's pretty much not an option. For certain specialties, anesthesiologists, pain management, emergency medicine, there is no coverage that's going to offer unlimited mental health benefits. At this point, all policies will limit it to 24 months. And then within internal medicine, the IM subspecialties, surgical specialties, it's pretty much up to you. So, you know, some companies will offer both options and then some companies only offer one. It's kind of dependent on the policy. So it's a little bit of all of those, actually.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. It's always a flavor of something. You know, you got to mix a few things together to make this crazy concoction. I could see it being a, a mixture of all.
1: Exactly. And God forbid they make it super transparent. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: Well, we strive for transparency, even though sometimes it's little hard to do. One of the things that you and I were chatting on was the concepts of like traditional future increase options versus, I guess, what's the best way of saying that? Other benefit increase options, right? The whole three-year concept that you're changing every three years versus every year.
1: That's right. So again, one of those things where it would make life easier if every company used the same terminology, but they don't, of course. So Some companies call it a benefit purchase rider, some companies call it a benefit update rider, there's a benefit increase rider, but it all really means the same thing for the most part. So a future increase option, and especially residents and fellows have heard this before, if they've done any research, it's the rider that will allow you to increase your coverage as your income goes up. So basically, as you transition to attending hood, you're at that higher income level, we wanna increase your disability insurance to be proportionate to that. This rider or this feature is gonna allow you to do that without having to go through any additional medical underwriting. That's really the key focus or the key benefit to that rider. Any insurance company will gladly accept a new application and you can buy more insurance from them you would just have to go through medical underwriting if you don't have this type of feature on your policy. So it's very highly suggested. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people where something has come up in their medical history. It could be something really small, a fracture. It could be something more significant but it affects the outcome of the disability policy you qualify for. Maybe you're now only eligible for a policy that's going to have an exclusion on your low back or on your right wrist or your left shoulder or whatever it might be. Most surgeons probably don't want a policy that has an exclusion on their right hand, right? I mean, that might not be that great. So, locking in that medical insurability locking in that ability to to buy additional coverage without having to be reevaluated medically is really powerful especially for trainees because we know that they're going to get that bump in income you're going to want to increase your coverage so there are two options for that a traditional future increase option it's pretty simple and straightforward you pick the amount of additional coverage that you want to have available to you so for example if you start with a $5000 monthly benefit again kind of the typical benefit amount for residents and fellows, and you wanted the ability to get to a total of 15000 you would include a $10,000 future increase option, and that ability to increase your coverage is going to be there at every policy anniversary. Uh, all you have to do is show uh, financial eligibility, so a tax return or a signed employment agreement something that provides the insurance company with proof and validation that yes, you're going to be earning that higher income and therefore they can offer you coverage based on that. So that's going to be available to you every year with the traditional future increase option, but you're never going to be required to do anything. It's sort of a full flexibility option and you're paying for that is the downside. You know, future increase option riders can be pretty costly actually depending on the specialty, depending on your age, depending on what state you're in. Um, it could be $200 a year for that rider. It could be $500 a year for that rider. And all you're paying for is the ability to buy more coverage. You're not prepaying for any of that coverage. You're literally just paying for the ability to buy more insurance, which conceptually almost doesn't even make sense, right? You're, you're paying for the right to buy more (laughs) insurance, but again, it's allowing you to do that without having to go through any additional medical screening. And that is really powerful. Now, a little over a decade ago, one company came out with a variation of that where they basically said, Hey, look, you know, we still want to offer this. We get it. There's value to it. We want people to have that, but we want to make it less costly for people because this is really expensive and not for nothing. But this is a way that we can become more competitive in the marketplace. Our policy can look a little bit more attractive cause it's less costly and it's trickled since then. So other companies have caught on and said, hey, that's actually a pretty good idea. Let's look at that. And now you have a number of companies offering it. So it's this secondary option. Again, it goes by a lot of different names, benefit update rider, benefit purchase rider, benefit increase rider, and it's a free rider. So rather than having to pay 300 or 500 or $600 a year for it, it's just included in the policy as long as you're medically eligible to have it included. And it allows you to increase your coverage still without any medical underwriting. So conceptually, it's the same thing. And practically speaking, it's going to work the same way. It's going to allow you to increase your coverage, but it doesn't give you as much flexibility every three years, rather than just having the ability to use it or not use it and leaving it up to you every three years, you're required to submit updated financial information to the insurance company. And the insurance company is going to evaluate whether you qualify for more coverage. Now, it's one of these things where they're they're truly evaluating your eligibility, right? Three years from now, they're not just going to come back and say, hey, you know, we feel like selling more insurance. So, sure, you can buy another 1000 or 2000 I mean, there is an equation to all of this. Insurance companies, as much as they want to sell policies, they also don't want you, you know, warm and cozy on the couch on a disability claim with no motivation to get better and back to work. So they're only going to sell you a certain amount, right? They they want there to be that motivating factor to get you better and back to work if you actually go on claim. So it is truly only based on your financial eligibility. But at that third year and the sixth year and ninth year, every three years, you're going to have to provide the insurance company some updated information. They're going to determine if you qualify for more coverage in order to keep the rider going. In other words, in order for it to keep on going so that in the sixth year and ninth year and twelfth year, you still have that ability to use it. At each of those checkpoints, the insurance companies require you to accept at least half of the additional coverage they offer you. So if you, for example, start with a $5,000 monthly benefit and they come back and say, well, we've determined that you qualify for 2,000 extra. You would have to take at least 1,000 of that So that three years later that rider would still be on the policy and you would still be able to increase your coverage again. You can obviously take a hundred percent of it if you'd like, you just have to at least take 50%. So if you don't, because they're never going to really force you to do it right, you don't actually have to accept it if you don't want to, but if you take less than 50% that rider then drops off the policy and three years later, if you wanted more coverage, you would have to go through the full medical underwriting process in order to get that additional coverage. So earlier in a physician's career path, it's important to make sure that that remains on there because you don't know what job changes you might encounter and what life changes you might encounter. You might end up wanting to take advantage of it again when you might not think so this year, you know, this specific year. So um, it is important to keep up with that. There is some maintenance involved. The real nice thing about that rider is that it's not just every three years. In between every three years, if you have a significant increase in your income, you can also exercise an advanced increase. And honestly, that's kind of what makes it so great for physicians, especially trainees, because in that physician career path, we know there's gonna be a substantial increase when we transition to attending hood. So we know that you're gonna qualify for that bump, regardless of whether it's the third or sixth or ninth or twelfth year, right? And that's really helpful to know, that you're not gonna be limited or restricted just because it's not the third or sixth year. It actually works really well. So again, the beauty on this is that it's free. You're not having to pay for that version. So we'll see policies sometimes when we're looking at two very comparable plans, but one policy has a future increase option, the other one has a benefit update rider or a benefit purchase rider. And the difference in premium is significant. And somebody might say, well, $40 a month isn't that significant. Relative to the total premium, it it might be, right? That might represent 30% of the premium. And for somebody on a resident salary or a fellow salary, it really could make a difference. So having that benefit update rider or benefit purchase rider is giving you the same value as the future increase option could. Yes, it comes with some extra maintenance. And yes, you do have to keep track of that so you don't lose it. But it's also saving you a considerable amount of money in some situations. I mean, again, you know, some future increase options are costing five hundred, six hundred dollars a year. That's a lot. And and that's a, a huge opportunity to save some money. So yeah, this can definitely lead to some decision making, right? If you're looking at two policies, you're in between two policies, one's forty or fifty dollars more per month, and the only difference is that it has this extra flexibility the future increase option offers there are a fair amount of people who will say that's just not worth it to me. I'd rather go with the less costly option and, and know that I still have this increase opportunity.
0: Yeah. When we think about the extra maintenance in reality, I mean everything else that we do in finance and that you're putting together with your goals and all the other stuff you're doing, this isn't a very tough task or a very difficult thing to do. It It is a little bit of effort, but it's not a monumental task that is going to, require you to move heaven and earth to get things done. but I want to make sure that everyone understands that when that comes due, that increase in benefit that you're taking, let's say 50% or whatever it may be to keep it active, that will increase the price of your premium that you're paying because now you have more coverage, which is a good thing. It means you're making more money, things are growing, things are going in the right direction. but I want to just make sure that that was crystal clear that you will increase that, which is good. But you will end up paying more premium. That's right, Ryan. Michael, the the fourth thing that we were discussing was around the cost of living adjustment, and we know that you know over time, right? The Fed has told us you know they're trying to target two, two and a half, three percent inflation, depending on you know, market cycles and what they're eventually trying to do with our monetary policy, and that means that you know a thousand dollars today in ten years is worth under eight hundred dollars in terms of like purchasing power, or in thirty years that might be cut in half. So there's something that is built into these policies with the cost of living adjustment riders. And it was really kind of the devil in the details, right? There was the way that you can either be simple or could be compounded. There's a lot of things that I think you need to unpack here for everyone as kind of that fourth and final piece of this you know, decision-making process.
1: That's right. So when it comes to a cost of living adjustment rider, that's the rider that we're referencing here, The value of a cost-of-living adjustment rider is that it increases the monthly benefit throughout a disability claim. It's important to note that it only takes effect at the start of a disability. Once a person has been disabled for 12 months or longer, it will start to take effect. So if you buy a policy today and don't do anything to it, and are healthy for the next 10 years, and 10 years from now you become disabled, you're still at that original benefit. This cost of living adjustment rider have increased that benefit because you weren't disabled it would only take effect at the start of a disability so it's mostly important for individuals who are younger and earlier in their career and the reason is the rider that combats inflation it increases the benefit throughout the disability claim and really the biggest risk for inflation is long term right being having the potential of a 30-year-long disability claim is a big deal versus somebody who's already 57 or 58 and only has a seven-year benefit period potential remaining on their policy. In 30 years, like you were saying, Ryan, $1,000 might only buy you $400 worth of today's goods and services. And so this rider is going to help combat that by increasing the benefit for every year that you remain disabled. So conceptually, it's pretty simple. Now, devils are in the detail, as, as with many things. And just looking at proposals that these insurance companies put out or perhaps just looking at comparison, you know, Excel sheets or, or comparison sheets that various brokers might provide you may not provide all those details because you're looking at a couple of variables here. For one, what is the rating increase that they're providing, right? So some companies provide a fixed 3% increase every year that you remain disabled. Some of them provide a variable rate. It's not fixed, but it can vary between one and 3% and it's tied to CPIU or inflation. And it's basically gonna adjust based on how CPIU is that year, right? So it can range between one and 3%. Certainly that's gonna be a little bit less favorable or potentially less favorable than one that offers a fixed 3% increase every year, year in, year out. There are some where they're CPI-tied, but they can range between 1% and 6% instead of just 1% and 3%. All of those things matter. The other variable is whether it's a compound interest or a simple interest, and this is kind of the tricky part because you can look at two proposals, and one might say 3% COLA, but if you didn't know any better, it would seem like that's a fixed 3% cola just like any other company is offering, whereas it might actually be a simple interest instead of a compound interest. So you really need to look at those details and working with a decent broker should help you with that, of course. But those are the things that you're looking at and they can really make a big difference. So from our perspective, as we're designing these, depending on who we're working with, of course, for younger individuals, at least in my opinion, it's really important to make sure that your cola rider is going to have a compound interest adjustment. Inflation works on a compounded basis. It's not 3% adjustments each year on what the dollar was worth in 1900. It's based on what it was worth in 2019. And in 2021 it's going to be relative to 2020 and that's going to continue. So I really do think it's important for somebody who's younger to make sure that they have a compound COLA versus a simple COLA. And that's kind of all comes down to designing the proposals, How it's actually being structured. But those are big differences and they could matter a lot. So, again, the theme of this is all that it comes down to looking at the pricing versus what you're getting. So, if you're looking at two policies that are otherwise very comparable, and one is giving you a fixed 3% compound interest and the other one is giving you a variable compound interest that can range between 1% and 3%, it's pretty clear that the one that's fixed is better. Now the question is, how much are you paying for that? If it's the same price, that sounds like a better deal, right? Um, If it's a lot more expensive, then some people might not find value in going with that. But at least understanding it, evaluating it and recognizing that there is a difference there is important. And honestly, it comes down mostly to knowing that your proposal was designed properly. I don't know that I would put much value on going with one versus the other. I mean, we all know that it could matter, but we won't know for 30 years, right? 30 years from now we can look back and say, yes, the fixed 3% was great. It might not be that great. If inflation is 3%, well then the CPI tied ones are also going to provide you 3%. It's more so knowing what the difference is. And again, in my opinion, making sure that it's a compound interest COLA, not just a simple interest COLA especially for younger individuals, that really makes a big difference. So knowing what to look for and, and knowing that, that those are designed properly, but it, it really can make a difference. And, and it honestly helps people make a decision. You know, when you have two policies that are super similar and this is the one variable and the pricing difference is minimal or more substantial, it can help people come to a final decision uh, of which policy is best for them personally.
0: Yeah. You know, seeing math and hearing math on air are two very different things. Completely. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just put a copy of, you know, basically a breakdown, if you will, between simple versus compound. I'll just do a quick little chart for everyone. Um, I'll post it on our Instagram at financial residency. So if you're not following us, go do that there. We'll post a a quick little chart. So just so you could see just the real easy mental math that Michael was doing. Right. He does this all day, every day. So, of course, he's going to be able to talk through those But on air, I know it's sometimes you're like, oh, I wish I could just see that. So I'll make sure that we include that on our Instagram at financial residency. So we know like as we've gone through just these big four things to go through, long-term disability insurance is a very detailed product. It's something that you guys all absolutely need. And it's really hard to kind of narrow down some of the right things that your policy should have and shouldn't have. But I think focusing on these four core decisions that Michael's really outlined are are really going to help you guys be able to kind of get over the edge and say, this is the policy I need and let's put it in place. And kind of speaking on putting it in place, you know, Michael's one of our preferred partners here at Financial Residency. Absolutely love every time I talk with him, I learn something new. Super fun to hang out with you today, Michael, on all this nerding out of policies. Clearly, you can tell everyone, like, how I get off going around like life planning or budgeting or whatever, like he nerds out on this. So he's a money nerd. I love it. (laughs) But Michael, for those that have maybe not have heard of you before or just aren't as familiar with what you're doing, where can everyone kind of find a little bit more about you? I'll kind of give everyone our link here. If you need insurance coverage or if you want to get a hold of Michael directly, it's easy to go to financialresidency.com slash MR insurance. But Michael, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your business and where they can learn a bit more about you.
1: For one, I'm always happy to have a conversation with pretty much anybody about anything. Obviously, disability insurance tends to be the topic of choice for the most part, but I think I'm a pretty personable person. I always say a third of the conversation that I have with most people is more personal, and then two thirds is down to business and talking numbers and, and actual about disability insurance. Anything that anybody is interested in discussing regarding disability insurance, if it's a question, if it's just to learn more, If it's to compare options or get a second opinion, they've already looked at a policy from somebody else. If they have an existing policy, want to have it reviewed, determine whether it's a good deal that they have, I'm always happy to help. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm only willing to talk to somebody who's interested in buying another policy, of course. So for one, you can always call me. I think Ryan mentioned my phone number. It's 800-817-4522 at any point anybody can reach out. In terms of more about me, so I live on the east coast with my wife. I have two little boys that are incredible. For those who don't have children, it is a true life changer. I mean, in multiple ways, of course, but pretty special. I've been doing this for about 14-ish years now. Right off the bat, got into disability insurance and really working pretty much exclusively with physicians. I had the good fortune of starting with a senior advisor that had been doing this for about probably 30-ish years by the time that I started with him. All he did was work with physicians and I really enjoyed the conversations I was having. Physicians are typically researchers and being very detail-oriented, I really enjoyed the conversations I had because physicians often ask good questions and it sort of makes the conversations more interesting than just here's what it is, here's why you need it and that's it. I've really enjoyed it. I have no intention of going anywhere else. And I guess in terms of business, you know, my philosophy has always been to do the right thing for everybody you talk to, no matter what, whether there's a benefit to me financially or not, we talk to plenty of people where we end up referring them to somebody else simply because there's an exclusive discount set up at their hospital or GME program or Maybe there's something in their medical history that would cause the need for an exclusion and at their GME program, you know, they have access to a guaranteed standard issue program where there's no medical underwriting involved. I really enjoy sort of excelling, trying to be the best that I can be at disability insurance specifically and really linking people to the best options, whether that's through me or through somebody else. That's the way our business is run. That's how it's always been anything that anybody needs, they can certainly feel free to reach out.
0: I appreciate you saying that because I think we're a different breed of person that works only with physicians, right? You're talking to the smartest 1% of our population. You always have to be on your A-game and it usually helps when you have some checklists and some real thought out detailed responses because that's what they're looking for. And I appreciate you just coming on the show and really enlightening us on some of the big things that we need to you know, really think about when it comes to purchasing a disability policy. I've always thoroughly enjoyed our conversations. I feel like I always learn one or two things here and there every time we talk. So thanks for coming on. For any of you that want to reach out to Michael, if you do not have coverage right now, highly encourage you to reach out to Michael. Like he said, if you're looking for you know, someone just to review your policy and make sure you're doing the right thing, you reach out to Michael as well. You can do that at financialresidency.com slash MRinsurance or you can give him a call at 800-817-4522. Michael, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate your time, bud.
1: Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, hopefully that was helpful for you guys. I know that I get asked this stuff all the time. We see these quotes. They break out lots of great detail. And then what usually ends up happening is, it's analysis by paralysis, it's too much detail, it's too much info, it's hard to decide which one. So hopefully this show will help you evaluate that decision-making process and that you are able to make a decision around long-term disability because this is probably the most important insurance that you will have as a physician. Remember that this show is for entertainment purposes only. It is not specific financial advice. For that, we'd say go reach out to your fee-only financial advisor or reach out to us at physicianwellservices.com if you'd like to work with a fee-only fiduciary financial planner. We work with all physicians all across the country and every single state. So if you're looking for a planner, we'd love to talk with you. But remember, don't take advice from us on the show. Make sure you're talking to someone who knows your specific details. Optional riders are available for additional premiums. Some policy benefits and features are not available to all occupations. With a future increase option, conditions and limitations apply. Medical information is not required when applying to exercise an increase option. Taken into consideration are financial information as well as all disability insurance in force for which you've applied or are eligible to receive. The COLA writer is not necessarily protection against increases in the cost of living. This material contains the current options of the speakers, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Security Products Advisory Services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, also known as Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. MR Insurance Consultants is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. MR Insurance License number 8913976CA. Insurance License 0G91249. 2020-104642 expires 722. All right, have a great week, everyone. Cheers.